This is Guns and Butter. Affluence means a flowing in, and what America got was a flowing in of foreign imports, a flowing in of uh, foreign money, essentially for nothing. And the Europeans and uh, the Asians who bought these bonds, Chinese bought these bonds very heavily, Asians bought these bonds very heavily uh, because they had faith in America. They didn't realize that it was a ripoff, and uh, seventy billion or eighty billion isn't really all that much when you look at.、Uh, What the cost of a change in the world order is, and so,、uh, in order to enable financial crooks to make 80 billion off the central banks of Europe and Asia, the United States is now becoming a pariah in the world financial economy, and、uh, there's going to be an enormous squeeze on the American economy generally because we've let the crooks take over. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. Today on Guns and Butter, Dr. Michael Hudson. Today's show: the plot to shift taxes off wealth onto wage earners. Dr. Hudson is a financial economist and historian. He is president of the Institute for the Study of Long-Term Economic Trend, a Wall Street financial analyst, and distinguished research professor of economics at the University of Missouri, Kansas City. His 1972 book. Super Imperialism: The Economic Strategy of American Empire is a critique of how the United States exploited foreign economies through the IMF and World Bank. He is also author of The Myth of Aid and Global Fracture: The New International Economic Order. On today's program, we discuss AAA rating of subprime junk, inflation, a coming change in world order. Privatization of the banking system through the Federal Reserve, Alan Greenspan and his 1982 Social Security Committee, junk economics, and the law of fraudulent conveyance. Dr. Hudson, welcome again. Thank you very much, Bonnie. I understand that、uh, certain securities, which are in reality really B-grade securities, have been promoted, particularly overseas, as AAA-grade securities. Could you talk about that? This is really the subprime mortgage、uh, issue.、Uh, there are mortgages given to people without any idea of what their income is.、Uh, fraudulent mortgages, mortgages that are given to friends of、uh, brokers, and the money simply pocketed for non-existent properties.、Uh, these were all packaged together by large investment banks and sold.、Uh, it was understood within the American economy for the last four years by American insurance companies, by American. Pension funds by mutual funds that these were really just junk.、Uh, they were fictitious claims on value, but the idea was to sell them to foreigners.、Uh, and while this was occurring.、Uh, America was running such a large balance of trade deficit that all these dollars the Americans、uh, were spending on foreign goods ended up in foreign central banks, and the foreign central banks had a problem. What are we going to do with all of these dollars we're getting from the American trade deficit? Well,、uh, what they decided to do was, in the past, largely to buy U.S. Treasury securities, but they said, let's get a little more. The Treasury securities、uh, are going down and down in yield.
world because the Federal Reserve under uh, Alan Greenspan is flooding the economy with money. So let's try to get a few more percentage points. And uh, we in the uh, in the central bank are encouraging other banks, commercial banks and uh, funds, to buy uh, investment-grade securities, that is, securities that are graded AAA, meaning uh, American bond-grading firms have gone over them and said, we've looked at these. Uh, these are as secure as claims on General Motors. Well, I guess they're bankrupt now, so uh, those, those securities aren't good examples. They're as secure as uh, claims on a thriving company, like uh, Donald Trump's real estate. Well, no, he went bankrupt, too, so we can't do that. Well, there's supposed to be securities that can be re- paid uh, by some kind of solvent uh, group. And it turned out the rating companies did absolutely no uh, analysis of these junk, uh, what were really junk bonds, but junk bonds not issued by corporate raiders, but junk bonds uh, issued by essentially crooked affiliates of the large banks uh, who were lending, they call them subprime, but uh, what that means is just uh, low quality. Uh, we just want to make the loan and get our commission, and we don't care who the borrower is. We don't care if they're crooked. We don't care if they can repay or whatever. These are the securities uh, that paid a few more percentage points in that uh, foreign banks got, and now all of a sudden it's discovered that there uh, is no value to them uh, seemingly at all. Now, the credit rating companies say, wait a minute, if we were to look at the actual mortgages that are all packaged into these securities, what happens is there will be a package of a million dollars worth of mortgages all packaged together, and the idea is you spread your risk. So that's like saying if you have Legs Diamond and Al Capone and uh, all the other uh, crooks uh, somehow issuing a promissory note that if you put them all together, there's safety in numbers. And, of course, they're all exactly the same. There was no safety in numbers at all. But the rating companies said if we have to rate these bonds, we'd have to do all the work that the banks uh, and mortgage brokers never did to begin with. We'd have to see what the value of these uh, properties are worth. We don't have a clue as the value because uh, the cities stopped uh, making uh, accurate assessments of uh, uh, land maps and land valuations. We'd have to look at the uh, the income that the borrowers have, and we don't even know whether they have any income at all because they never filled them out on the form. So how on earth can we rate the securities? Now, foreign governments can say, look, uh, we trusted America. Uh, it turns out that the rating companies, instead of saying uh, we're not rating these bonds. They said they're AAA. This is going to be the largest lawsuit in the history of the you know, of the world, basically, because uh, we're ta- it's $80 billion so far of subprime loans, as reported in today's Financial Times. Now, these $80 billion are held by foreign governments, and when governments are involved, you can be sure that what they're going to do is go to the U.S. government and say, either you make good on uh, your crooked rating firms, crooked Standard & Poor's, crooked uh, Moody's, or else, if you don't prosecute them, close them down as being uh, under the racketeering laws for triple damages, uh, then we're going to stop buying U.S. securities. The U.S. dollar will plunge even more. The U.S. dollar has already lost one-third of its value against European prices. I think most Americans can see their living costs rise 10%, 20%, even 30% in the next year. Housing prices will go up. Oil prices will go up. Anything made out of copper, aluminum, steel, uh, or electricity is going to go way up. 
the Americans have no idea of what's going to happen to them uh, probably after 2008. The Republicans are trying to keep down the prices uh, by sort of flooding the economy with money. But after after next fall, you can expect uh, a huge squeeze on the Americans, such as they haven't experienced since the Great Depression, largely because of the political mishandling of uh, this financial crookedness uh, that rivals the mishandling of the Iraq War. Now, were these uh, securities, uh, was this ruse of uh, rating securities AAA that were really BBB, let's say? They weren't BBB. Even a BBB, you think there's a risk, but at least uh, you have some idea promised to pay. It's, It's completely unknown. There's no way of rating them. BBB, at least you have, you can make a mathematical program to try to figure out uh, what they are. But there, uh, uh, there's no idea at all what these securities represent, or uh, who owes the money, or what the value of the property being collateralized is. Were these securities only sold to foreigners, or were no. they? They were, they were uh, marketed in the United States, and anybody could buy them, but it was understood by the uh, American financial community that this was uh, not going to work, that it was pretty much uh, garbage. As they, they, the, the financial press referred to it as garbage and referred to them as junk bonds. So uh, when uh, most American newspapers, the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, the Washington Post, all call this junk, and the foreigners say, we want it, it's America, we want to get rich the way America did, and if uh, it's good enough for Americans, uh, they stand behind it, uh, we'll buy it. That means that they're the only ones to buy it. Now, I was just talking with the European earlier today, and uh, they said, well, we want to get rich like America. And I said, but America's got rich off you. That's like saying... uh, uh, we want to get rich like a criminal, and so you be part of the part of the game. But you're the victim, not the criminal. And uh, in this case, uh, Europe's uh, way of uh, participating in the American system of affluence is uh, as a victim, not as the affluent country. The word affluence means a flowing in. And what America got was a flowing in of foreign imports, a flowing in of uh, foreign money, essentially for nothing. And the Europeans and uh, the Asians who bought these bonds, Chinese bought these bonds very heavily. Asians bought these bonds very heavily uh, because they had faith in America. They didn't realize that it was a ripoff. And uh, 70 billion or 80 billion isn't really all that much when you look at uh, what the cost of a change in the world order is. And so uh, in order to enable financial crooks to make $80 billion off the central banks of Europe and Asia, the United States is now becoming a pariah in the world financial economy, and uh, there's going to be an enormous squeeze on the American economy generally because we've let the crooks take over. I noticed on the front page of the San Francisco Chronicle a huge article just a few days ago about how the Federal Reserve had to step in and start pumping money into the markets uh, because of the credit crunch. It showed many more billions of dollars having to be pumped into the um, into the European system, even more than in in the system in the United States, the financial system. Is this because of these uh, junk bonds that we've just been uh, talking about? That's exactly why. A seemingly small German bank in Dusseldorf last week that nobody had ever heard of turned out to have lost $22 billion in subprime mortgages. 
And this was just one small bank in Germany. Germany and Japan have never got over the fact that because they lost World War II to America, that somehow uh, they can put their trust in America, and America must be financially better because it was militarily better. Uh, the Germans and the Japanese are the big losers in, in all of this because they, uh, uh, they were the ones who didn't uh, understand the risks that uh, Americans understood. Now, uh, you have mentioned quite a few times uh, central banks in foreign countries, and then, of course, we've mentioned the Federal Reserve. Could you tell us simply what a central bank is and how the Federal Reserve... Uh, what is the Federal Reserve? The Federal Reserve is the alternative to the U.S. Treasury. Before 1914, in America, all uh, national monetary policy was coordinated by the Treasury. The Treasury had sub-treasuries all over the country, and uh, they would engage in what the Federal Reserve uh, would do today. They would uh, sell bonds or buy government bonds to put liquidity into the system. They would do the regulation. The uh, the central banks were created in order to make the private banking system independent of the government uh, and, in fact, antagonistic to the government, uh, representing the banking sector as opposed to the government interests. So during World War II, for instance, and in the late 1940s, the Treasury's interest is to represent the U.S. government, meaning the taxpayers and the people, and their interest is in keeping interest rates low, uh, meaning the borrowing charges uh, for American, America will be low. The Federal Reserve's interest was in uh, keeping interest rates high in order to make more money for the banks uh, that had to invest their reserves in Treasury bills. So there was a famous accord back in 1952 where the Treasury said, all right, we're not going to represent the American people anymore. Uh, we, we, will give we will give planning control of finance over to uh, the, the banking system and let the financial sector do what the government used to do, uh, financial planning. And under Alan Greenspan's tenure at the Federal Reserve, it became the lobby to shift the tax burden uh, to essentially take over the tax policy that the Treasury used to uh, be in charge of. The, the policy of the Fed and of Alan Greenspan is to cut taxes on the rich uh, and ideally make the rich tax exempt and make the uh, essentially labor consumers the low income will be uh, bearing the tax burden. So under the Federal Reserve and uh, financial planners uh, over the last 50 years, you've had a huge tax shift off property, off finance, off the rich, onto uh, the low income uh, workers and onto labor and onto consumers. And that's why uh, the secretary of Warren Buffett, for instance, will pay a much higher uh, tax rate on her uh, $50,000 income a year than Warren Buffett will pay on his $100 million income a year. Uh, under the Federal Reserve, the taxes have been slashed on uh, the rich, and in the past, the Treasury used to avoid taxation uh, and avoid running a deficit by uh, taxing the rich. In other words, uh, they had an income tax, and the income tax would cover the government expenditures, and uh, most of the tax was paid by the highest tax brackets. Today, they've cut the taxes on the rich, and they've let the rich even avoid paying income taxes by pretending that they make capital gains instead of income, and by pretending to make their income abroad in tax havens rather than in the United States, so that the rich don't have to pay the tax at all. Uh, the the low-income people 
people have to pay the tax. And in in a way, the whole character of class warfare has changed away uh, from the familiar old class warfare between employers and employees and industrialists and uh, workers. It's shifted between uh, creditors and debtors between uh, the 10% of the American population that own most of the property and the bottom 90% uh, that are in debt to this top uh, 10%. And the Federal Reserve's job is to, uh, instead of taxing the rich, to borrow from them the money they used to pay in tax and pay them interest uh, on this. So the uh, the flow of payments is from uh, labor and consumers to the rich uh, via interest payments on the federal debt, instead of what it used to be, which is the flow uh, was from the rich to the rest of the economy. They've turned the progressive era upside down, and they put the class war in business in a way that uh, the old uh, kind of class warriors haven't even been able to follow. It's been so uh, imperceptible. I'm speaking with financial economist and historian Dr. Michael Hudson. Today's show, The Plot to Shift Taxes Off Wealth Onto Wage Earners. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. Now, is the Federal Reserve the same thing as the central banks? Yes. Uh, every country now has a central bank. They are essentially the antithesis of democracy, because in every country they say the central bank has to be independent of the government. That means independent of elected officials. They say if you elect people to the central bank, then they're going to do policies that help uh, the national interest. The central bank stands in opposition to the national interest in every country, representing the banking system, essentially the fire sector, finance, insurance and real estate against the rest of the economy. So the central bank has become the main uh, lever in the new class war between creditors and debtors. So essentially then what you're saying is that the whole financial sector, the control of the money, is all privatized. Yes. And in fact, that's why it's taken the lead in uh, enforcing the government to privatize what remains of the public domain and selling it off bit by bit to uh, largely on credit to boot. So the, the banks say, sell off the public domain. We will lend the money to buyers who want to buy these uh, public enterprises. Uh, they're turning the uh, turnpikes and roads into toll roads. Uh, they're taking over the airwaves really uh, for nothing. They're taking over the mineral rights, the forests, the water supplies. And then they're increasing the prices they charge as user fees to the rest of the population at much, much higher prices than the government ever would have uh, charged under uh, the way the government had run uh, these enterprises. Railroads, uh, everything right down the line that's been privatized in country after country, not only in the United States. Earlier you mentioned Warren Buffett and his secretary and that uh, Warren Buffett's billions are taxed as a capital gain, which is essentially half the rate of uh, the income tax on on wage earners. I believe you've written that uh, Warren Buffett pays uh, 17% on his billions, while his secretary would pay 30%. That's right. 
and she actually pays even more when you that's only in tax uh the secretary also has to pay for the social security and health care over and above it uh that is not considered as part of tax and the social security used to be paid for out of the general budget but now it's uh treated as a user fee by the uh the people who pay but only the first $80,000 of income has to pay a, a social security tax so all the millions and the tens of millions and the hundreds of millions that people earn over and above 80,000 is completely exempt from the social security tax it usually adds another 15% onto the tax burden of most uh, wage earners You've also written that what we now refer to as a capital gain used to be called a windfall. That's right. The word capital is very confusing. People think of capital in terms of a a capital good, a machinery, a factory, a tangible means of production. But now uh, 80% of capital gains represent uh, real estate. And uh, what goes up is the site value of land. 80% of capital gains in the country are really increasing uh, land prices. The land under the building is what goes up. The building itself doesn't go up in value. If anything, it deteriorates. But uh, all of this is land. So it's not capital, it's land. The other 20% of capital gains is almost entirely stocks and bonds and financial securities. And uh, these are not the kind of wealth that Adam Smith talked about in The Wealth of Nations. They're the reverse. They're claims on wealth. Uh, A bond is a claim on a means of production. Stock is a claim on a means of production. Bank loans are claims. So uh, the uh, the terminology that is used for capital gains is sort of a euphemism uh, subsidized by uh, the financial sector. Basically, is a kind of junk economics to replace the classical economics that used to be pretty clear that capital was capital and uh, loans and debts uh, and land were something different. Could you talk about how the tax structure now that you are describing is uh, upside down and the absolute opposite of the way uh, things have traditionally been? Well, in most most countries for most of history, until about the 19th century, uh, most people functioned on a break-even basis. In other words, they had to spend all the income they earned just on living, on food, housing, uh, clothing, medical, transportation, there wasn't really very much surplus. And that meant that uh, the only way that any country, any uh, nation could uh, finance itself, whether it's Babylonia or ancient Greece and Rome or feudal Europe, uh, France and England, the only tax base was uh, really uh, landowners or wealth. And the only way you could tell how much wealth somebody had was on what was called visible wealth, and that was the land. Uh, Finance was called invisible wealth because you never knew... Uh, what people had. And in fact, much of what we know about ancient coinage is what archaeologists have uh, dug up because they were buried so that they'd be invisible. So the tax basis of uh, under the Roman constitution, under the Greek constitution, under uh, the uh, feudalism in Europe was all based on the land and on wealth. Finally, uh, with the Industrial Revolution and the growth in productivity, you had living standards raise enough so there was somebody else to tax besides the wealth. And uh, increasingly, the workers and uh, middle class emerged for the first time in history. And the middle class and even the workers were able to begin paying some part of the surplus 
to the state. And what has happened uh, that nobody really expected a century ago was that the uh, wealthy people who'd paid uh, the bulk of taxes, almost uh, 100% in antiquity, maybe about uh, 60%, uh, 70% a century ago, now they're paying only a, uh, a small portion of the taxes because they're shifting the taxes off property, off finance, off real estate, onto uh, the shoulders of labor, industry, and uh, family farms. For instance, in 1930, if you looked at uh, New York City and uh, the average cities and uh, states in America, 70% of their uh, state and local taxes were on real estate. Now that proportion's gone down to 16%. And instead of taxing real estate, they have uh, shifted the tax burden onto income taxes, uh, sales taxes, excise taxes, hotel taxes, taxes that don't fall on property anymore. Well, the result has been not really to make uh, property cheaper uh, by cutting these taxes. Even though uh, cities and states have cut the property taxes, this hasn't uh, lowered property prices or rents at all because the money that the, uh, the tax collectors freed has all been paid to the banks as interest charges. Whatever the tax collector gives up can be paid to the bank by outside borrowers and say, oh, now there's uh, that much more income that this building is yielding. I can afford to pay uh, this much more rent to, uh, to the bank to get the interest if you lend me the money to buy uh, the building. So uh, people who want to buy buildings, uh, office buildings, uh, houses, are all uh, willing to pay this rental value to the banks that's increased by the tax collector lowering the taxes on it. Well, meanwhile, uh, while they have to pay this, what they used to pay in taxes, they now pay in an interest for uh, housing and real estate, they still have to pay the taxes somehow, and they pay it on their own income uh, and on uh, what they consume. But the real estate uh, sector doesn't have to pay taxes on its income because the real estate sector is exempt from the income tax. And it's exempt from the income tax because of two loopholes in the tax code. First of all, if you're a commercial buyer and you buy real estate, you don't have to uh, pay a tax on interest. You count uh, interest as an expense of doing business. Uh, secondly, uh, the tax code pretends that the building is losing its value uh, as it wears out. And so uh, this depreciation is allowed to be charged as a fictitious cost uh, that absorbs the income that normally would be reported as actual earnings. So when the real estate investor, not the homeowner, but the real estate investor, fills out his tax form, there isn't any taxable income. So uh, not only have the state and local property taxes been uh, moved way down, down. The income tax makes the, the real estate sector, which is the largest sector in America, tax-exempt, just like it used to make the oil and gas sector tax-exempt for uh, many generations through the uh, depletion allowance, and just as it makes uh, more and more of the uh, wealthy classes tax-exempt by all of the loopholes in the tax code that's made the tax uh, code uh, so many volumes and such a gigantically long code. All this length of the volumes, all this huge shelves of uh, tax technicalities are all loopholes to make sure that the rich don't have to pay taxes, that only the wage earners have to. So then if what uh, used to be paid in taxes to the government for, uh, let's say, the good of all, is now being paid in interest to bankers, it's simply what used to be 
paid in taxes is now uh, simply uh, going to the private sector, to the rich. That's right. And the bankers will use this uh, income not in a way that the government would use its income. The government used the income, tax income in the past to uh, increase public enterprises. They'd build railroads, they'd build hospitals, they'd build schools. But the banks uh, don't lend money for building things. They lend money to bid up the price of existing real estate already in place and existing companies already in place and against stocks and bonds. So the whole financial system and fiscal system has been changed away from producing more capital, more infrastructure, more means of support, to selling off infrastructure, to stripping it, to making loans against it, to privatize it, and to increase the price that uh, Americans have to pay for the privatized services that used to be public services. Could you talk about Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid, uh, in particularly 1982, Alan Greenspan's Social Security Committee? Right. Well, he used, uh, Greenspan used to be a consultant for the, uh, for the private sector, and he was known as one of these uh, sort of uh, hired samurai. He'd say uh, in his reports whatever people wanted him to say. So you know that when you hired him, he'd give you any kind of junk economics you wanted, basically, for uh, his report. So they put him in charge of a commission to say, how can we uh, shift this? Uh, Social Security uh, is going to be increasing in cost now that the population is rising and, and aging and retiring. How do we make the, how do we free the wealthy people from having to pay this cost? How do we make the poor pay for Social Security instead of the rich? How do we get it out of the government budget and actually have have the poor pay to the rich for Social Security rather than vice versa. And Alan Greenspan came up with a rhetorical, a clever uh, rhetoric, a euphemism uh, that became the prime euphemism of the junk economics that he's been spreading for the last 30 years. The key uh, principle of junk economics is that you pretend that uh, Social Security is not part of the normal federal budget, uh, like waging war or paying interest on the government debt or building a highway, that, uh, that somehow it's to be paid for by the contributors as a user fee. Uh, the same thing for medical care, uh, that the person who gets the medical care should have to save in advance for the own medical care. So uh, all of a sudden, Greenspan said, instead of uh, having the government pay pensions like they do in uh, Europe uh, out of the normal uh, income that they tax the rich for, we're not going to tax uh, the rich at all. We're going to uh, make only the poor pay for Social Security, and we're not only going to make them pay for Social Security, we're going to make them to pay 10 times as much as we actually pay out in Social Security. We are going to do what Hitler did and what Stalin did. We are going to introduce a new kind of fascist economics. We are going to do forced savings on the American workers. When Hitler did this in the 30s, uh, the American press said, this is the antithesis of freedom. Uh, when Stalin did it in the 1930s and 40s and said, we're going to withhold money for the workers' wages so that they can sometimes some they pay for the future, this was all viewed as confiscation. Alan Greenspan had a plan to confiscate the income of every employee in the United States by forcing them to ostensibly save their money to pay for Social Security in advance a generation in advance of when they'd actually use it. This would be the equivalent of saying, uh, we're going to have to fight a war in 30, uh, suppose in 1982, he'd said, we're going to have to go to war with Iraq in uh, 2000, in 20 years. So we're going to have to save up enough money now uh, so that we can uh, pay for this uh, $500 billion war 
out of the earnings on our savings. America would have had to save up something like $50 trillion in order to have uh, lived off the interest for the, uh, for the Iraq War. That would have been crazy. But it's no more crazy to say we have to save up money in advance uh, so that the Social Security recipients can live off the money that uh, the low-income uh, workers themselves save, uh, and that we've now freed the budget so that no longer do the upper uh, tax brackets have to pay for Social Security, no longer do the rich have to pay for public health. Uh, we can now cut their taxes from 90% down to about 20%. So all of a sudden, the Social Security ploy was a means of freeing the rich from taxes to pay uh, medical care, public health. And, and then uh, the final twist of the knife was when Bush said, and now we're going to give all of this money that's been uh, ostensibly saved, ostensibly in the government fund. It doesn't really exist, Bush said, and he's right. It never did exist. But he said the government is now going to uh, create a new amount of money, give it to financial managers. The financial managers uh, will, uh, will uh, essentially share all of the income that any of the savings get will go to the financial managers as a service fee, and uh, the recipient, uh, the Social Security saver, will get any of the capital gains or losses. He said, we want to do what General Pinochet did in Chile. Now, what General Pinochet did in Chile after uh, the coup d'etat was uh, to force savings on the workers there. He adopted explicitly the, uh, the Hitler program that was sponsored by the University of Chicago. The entire program went bankrupt within six years. All of the workers' savings were wiped out. That's the Greenspan and Bush plan for the United States, and to essentially confiscate the income of uh, the American employees and taxpayers, turn it over to the financial sector, and then uh, uh, use it to push up the stock market in the first place, to push up stocks, to invest in subprime mortgages or whatever else they're going to do, and then uh, to all of a sudden pull the rug out, uh, sell out all in the group, let the uh, stock market go down and say, gee, I'm sorry you've made uh, a bad investment. I'm sorry you've l lost all your money. Please take responsibility for that. That's what Ayn Rand would have done. Uh, so the whole thing is just uh, really uh, a long trick that's been uh, 20 years in the making. I'm speaking with financial economist and historian Dr. Michael Hudson. Today's show, The Plot to Shift Taxes Off Wealth Onto Wage Earners. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. Now, to what extent uh, does the uh, economic situation that you've been discussing, to what extent is this going to play a role in the uh, upcoming presidential elections? Well, there's only one candidate that's really been trying to introduce most of these ideas into the campaign, and that's Dennis Kucinich. And the surprising thing is uh, uh, he's the one you read about least in uh, the New York Times and the others, uh, because Kucinich, in trying to introduce a discussion of Social Security and opposed privatization, uh, he's running up against uh, the Democratic Leadership Committee. He's running against uh, he's running against the large financial interests who, who financed George Bush uh, in the last two elections. And uh, in order to explain this, we have to look at the campaign finance. 
American political parties usually change every uh, few administrations. And so if you're Wall Street, uh, the great bulk of political campaign contributions in this country come, first of all, from the financial sector, secondly, by the real estate sector, third, by insurance, and now by the pharmaceutical companies. So essentially, these are the, uh, the financial sector and the monopolists uh, and the property owners. They can see the handwriting on the wall. They uh, see that people are unlikely to vote the Republicans in again. So uh, they're probably going to vote a Democratic uh, president in 2008. Now, for the campaign contributors, they say, how do we get the same policies done that we've had in the past, but under the Democrats? And you can see what their answer is by looking at who they've contributed to in the presidential campaign. Most of the Bush contributors have shifted uh, to Hillary, followed by Obama. So these are the two recipients of the main, uh, essentially, right-wing campaign contributions. And within the Democratic Party, they've uh, created their own sort of uh, Republican Action Committee, uh, which they call the Democratic Leadership Committee. And uh, these are the people who, who pressed Al Gore to have Lieberman as his vice presidential candidate in uh, the 2000 elections. And we saw what happened there. There were the people who pressed uh, John Kerry uh, in the last election. Uh, they want to press, essentially, for a candidate that will continue to shift the taxes off wealth onto employees and onto consumers. Uh, they want someone who will be willing to escalate the war in the Near East, as uh, Hillary's already uh, said uh, she would uh, be willing to talk about. They want, essentially, to continue the giveaways to the pharmaceutical industries. And essentially, Hillary now, ironically, has become the main lobby for the pharmaceutical uh, industry by doing the exact opposite of uh, what she said she'd originally intended to do with her health care plan. I think Michael Moore uh, did a pretty good job uh, explaining uh, Hillary's uh, about-face in his wonderful uh, movie, Sicko. Essentially, uh, the Republicans say, look, in effect, Republican can win the Democratic presidential nomination if we give enough money to their campaign, and uh, the money has been gone uh, mainly to Hillary, also to Obama. Hardly any money has gone to people who are challenging the financial sector. And uh, uh, the problem is that even when uh, Dennis Kucinich will come out with his tax program, with his policies, uh, when he uh, makes these points in the debate, in one debate after another, you'll have uh, the Democratic candidates say, we're for the poor against the rich, and then you'll have Dennis uh, Kucinich coming and say, here's the uh, uh, law that I've introduced into Congress. Here's the particular plan. Uh, the other candidates will say, we're against the war in uh, uh, Iraq and Dennis will come and say, here is the uh, proposal that I've made in Congress to stop funding the war. You can't say you're against the war in Iraq and then keep voting for funding it. You can't say you're against torture and then refuse to uh, vote against laws to limit torture. When he says these things, somehow they don't get reported in the, the polite uh, press. They don't get reported in the liberal press. And what used to be the liberal press, in fact, is now turning into pretty much uh, the right-wing press. And uh, you have to go to the Internet for what uh, you used to be able to get on the New York Times. Or you have to read the European press, the Financial Times and... Uh, the Guardian and uh, papers like that, because there's been almost an agreement among the right-wing press in America to uh, block out any criticism of uh, the candidates that the large Republican donors are uh, financing now when they're running as Democrats. 
Now, speaking of uh, Dennis Kucinich's run for the presidency, you have been named by Dennis Kucinich as his chief economic policy advisor, and I understand that you're putting together a group of academics and economists to uh, help write a plan. How's that going? Well, uh, I guess you're right. As part of the truth in reporting, we have to say that I, a week ago I was appointed as uh, Kucinich's uh, chief economic policy advisor. By the end of this week, I will have a tax plan drawn up. And basically what we're trying to do is restore the U.S. tax code to what it originally was when it was first passed uh, in the 1910s. And uh, a lot of Americans don't realize that in the beginning, uh, only the very rich were subject to the income tax. People who earned a basic uh, a basic break-even salary, it would be the equivalent of about 40000 today, they didn't have to pay any tax at all because it was realized that they were already spending all their money just on living. The original uh, American income tax was only levied on the rich. Uh, secondly, the American income tax treated capital gains is the same uh, tax rate as uh, normal income on the idea that if, if you build up your savings from a uh, million dollars to two million dollars, it doesn't make really any difference economically whether you, you earn this million dollars or whether you have property that goes up uh, by a million dollars. We're going to uh, tax capital gains at exactly the same rate as income. All of these uh, were progressive. The original income tax uh, was very brief. It didn't have all of these volumes after volumes of loopholes exempting uh, the rich. Uh, and it also didn't have all of the special giveaways to the real estate interests of fictitious depreciation uh, or fictitious uh, financial charges such as uh, are uh, piled on today. So the interesting thing is that when Dennis and his uh, campaign advisors or myself talk about this, uh, we're accused by Wall Street of starting a new class war. Well, what we're trying to do is defend the population against the class war that's being waged by the finance and property sectors and the monopolies. And just trying to defend against their aggression, now they're trying to turn the tables and uh, rhetorically call us the class warriors. And that's the way uh, we're often treated in the popular press, and it turns reality upside down. Now, what kind of a, a fight back or a backlash do you think this is going to receive? Obviously, there's going to be... Exactly. Uh, this throws down the gauntlet. In other words, uh, the Bush Republicans and the Wall Street Democrats, the Charles Schumers of the world, have been... Uh, thinking that they can put the class war in business against labor and nobody's going to notice. We're going to put out charts and statistics, and we're going to show exactly what they've done. And when the people see what they've done statistically, and when they see their reports, they're going to get angry and they're going to throw the guys out. Because in this campaign, more than any presidential campaign in recent years, the issues are economic. Well, as well as we watch this economic, uh, I don't know if it's going to be a meltdown or a shake-up. I mean, it's already becoming a crisis, as we've already discussed. I think we should call it, there are two things we can call it. One is uh, negative equity, uh, but the other, people are talking now that the uh, uh, 1990s and uh, the last decade have been like the 1890s, which, uh, and they call it the Gilded Age. 
Uh, but it wasn't an, a gilded age. It was an era of economic regression. It was polarization between rich and poor, and it was against that so-called gilded age that you had progressive economic policies come. And what made America so rich in the 20th century was the progressive economic policy, progressive taxation, uh, and a, a pro-industrial policy. What we have in since the 1990s under uh, Greenspan and Bush have been the era of economic regression. It's the opposite of progress. So we're juxtaposing uh, the new progressive policy to the economics of regression. I'm speaking with financial economist and historian Dr. Michael Hudson. Today's show, The Plot to Shift Taxes Off Wealth Onto Wage Earners. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. Could you uh, reiterate exactly what you meant by closing the bubble on how health care is funded? Uh, European countries have a much lower cost of health care than in the United States because uh, the government uh, will contract with the doctors directly. In this country, the government has permitted the financial sector to interject itself as a wedge in between the patients and the doctors. And this wedge not only charges the patients an enormous fee for essentially saying no to the medical care they need, but they've also put the doctors on rations by uh, paying only a given specific amount for doctors uh, to get. And then uh, many doctors on insurance panels that I know say they have to wait an entire year to get paid because the uh, health management organizations will just uh, use the money they get from the patients to speculate, to do whatever it is that they're doing with their money, or just to earn a few pennies extra in interest. So the HMOs are squeezing the doctors, they're squeezing the healthcare people, and they're taking such an enormous chunk that is utterly needless, utterly parasitic, that they're making the cost of health care, which is part of the cost of living and part of the cost of employing labor, much higher than it is in Europe. Well, the result is that General Motors says uh, the health care costs of uh, making a car are $2,700 per vehicle or whatever number. Uh, what it's not saying is the cost to, of interest, the cost to our financial managers uh, is even more per vehicle. But they're trying to say that we have to pay so much more for medical care because of the dysfunctional privatized uh, medicine that we can't compete with the so-called socialized medicine of uh, other countries. And it turns out what the American Medical Association used to call socialized medicine is really capitalist medicine. It's really the medicine of the governments uh, taking over the external non-direct uh, labor costs of production and absorbing these labor costs to make industry more competitive. Every successful economy in history has been a mixed economy. The government has its role of certain things to do. The private sector has its role. Uh, if it's totally a government-controlled, you have the kind of... Uh, inefficiencies you had in uh, the Soviet Union. If it's totally privatized, you have the kind of inefficiencies you have here with uh, the HMOs, managing health care. If it's uh, like in Thatcherite England, uh, you have the breakdowns uh, of the train systems, uh, the accidents, uh, the almost unlivable uh, transport conditions there. The most low-cost, the most efficient economies are balanced private and uh, public economies where uh, health care is the kind of natural monopoly that basically belongs in the public uh, domain. And uh, almost all the academic economists realize this, but uh, what they 
say is nothing compared to the campaign contributions that the uh, insurance and financial sector has been able to give to uh, the politicians. And the result is that the financial sector and the insurance companies have essentially bought control of the uh, government departments that are administering uh, health care. They've bought control of the congressional committees that are writing the health care laws, and they've created the most expensive but least efficient health care system in the world for the United States. How do you think that the uh, government in the United States is going to handle mass foreclosures, possibly homelessness, let's say, for millions? What it would like to do would be to raise the tax rate to 90% on the income of labor and uh, bail out all of the uh, banks and all of the rich people. It would essentially uh, take all the money away, uh, the discretionary income that Americans have, and give it to Wall Street to bail them out so that Wall Street will not lose, only the people will lose. Now, with regard to the coming mass foreclosures and possible homelessness for millions, uh, Halliburton, Kellogg, Brown, and Root specifically, I think, has a contract, I think originally for $385 million to build camps for illegal immigrants. <laughs> I know it might sound sort of far out, but um, they have open-ended contracts. Do you see this having anything to do with uh, homelessness or uh, political dissenters? Uh, not but there's always been a rumor that all these camps they're building are potential uh, political dissenters. I guess President Bush says that if you disagree with his policy, you can be treated as a terrorist, uh, but I don't think it's going to go quite that far. Uh, there's no question that these camps would certainly be a solution to the homelessness uh, problem. I'm sure they'd love to move most of the uh, people from New Orleans there. Uh, it sounds to me like uh, putting the Indians on reservations uh, in the 19th century. It sounds to me like they're taking uh, uh, the homeless or the poor uh, or those who cannot afford to pay their mortgages uh, and just uh, putting them on their own reservations, where no doubt there will be small maquiladora factories and other uh, work for them to do by uh, doing uh, small handicrafts. Now, uh, do we really think that this actually could happen? Well, they'll certainly build the buildings. Uh, there's a lot of money to be made in building. Already we know the uh, uh, Homeland Security Department has built huge trailer parks uh, that are not just not used. Uh, the government's interest is in doing essentially for uh, construction what it's done with the military. Remember, they've put billions and billions of dollars into uh, the military shield that doesn't do anything. Why shouldn't they put billions and billions into building camps and housing and other things that don't do anything? It's all a means of pumping money into the hands of their campaign contributors. Yes, so no telling exactly what they're going to do with any of this. And these campaign contributors would just as soon build empty cities and empty camps as uh, make armaments that don't work. Now, you have a way, or you have an idea of how to deal with some of this bad debt called fraudulent, the fraudulent conveyance laws. Could you talk about that? Uh, right now, it's expected that 17 million Americans are going to uh, lose their homes this year through foreclosure. Uh, this is not a new situation. Many societies have dealt uh, with this. In fact, where I live in New York, uh, there's a law still on the books that uh, originally was passed in colonial times. And the situation in colonial times was amazingly similar to what's happened with subprime loans today. 
uh, to the poor. Uh, there were many farmers in uh, New York State. It was remember uh, back uh, at the time of the Revolution, it was largely an agricultural country, and uh, a lot of British uh, speculators. Most of the banks, uh, the financial sector, were uh, controlled out of Britain because that's where the money was. Uh, British lenders, but also predatory American lenders, would uh, see somebody with a farm. They'd lend money against a farm. Uh, they'd lend so much money uh, that the farmer couldn't afford to uh, repay the loan, especially if the banker would then call in the loan and say, you, you have to pay right now just before the harvest or at an inconvenient time. So uh, farmers began to lose their land to these predatory creditors. And as a result, the New York uh, State Assembly passed a law called the Law of Fraudulent Conveyance. And that law said that if a creditor, uh, a banker or a lender, makes a loan to a borrower without having any idea of how the borrower can repay, then that loan is nullified. So that uh, when the bankers would make a loan to uh, a farmer and then say, it's August, you have to pay now, and the farmer would say, uh, when you made that loan, your purpose was not to help me grow the crops. Your purpose was to uh, grab my land because you knew that I couldn't pay the loan in August. The harvest isn't in September. The loan was null and void. Uh, this law remained on the books. Uh, it became back into use in the 1980s during the period of junk bond takeovers when companies, uh, corporate raiders, would borrow money on Wall Street, buy companies, load the company down with debt, and then say, now we have to uh, tell the workers, we're going to go bankrupt and fire you if you don't uh, agree to cut your wages back. And uh, they'd begin cutting off the uh, uh, company's assets, selling the real estate, selling divisions. So companies tried to prevent uh, this by the fraudulent conveyance law, saying uh, the Wall Street investors had no business lending the money to the corporate raider, knowing that our company did not uh, generate enough earnings to pay the interest and the amortization charges on the debt, uh, it should be nullified. Well, by that time, Wall Street had bought most of the judges, and as you probably know, New York is one of the most corrupt uh, court systems in the country, and uh, this wasn't particularly, it, it wasn't very successfully used uh, as a, a device to prevent corporate raiding. However, uh, the Kucinich campaign is now uh, proposing that we introduce this law on a national scale in the United States, so that if uh, somebody has bought an apartment, uh, the interest rate will now suddenly adjust and escalate. Uh, the terms of the rate will increase beyond his ability to pay. Uh, this New York fraudulent conveyance law will be established uh, nationally as part of a revised bankruptcy law to say if the bank makes a loan that it knew could not be paid, or it didn't do the paperwork. It said, uh, you don't have to fill in any paperwork. We don't know, uh, we don't care how you're going to repay the loan. We want to just make the loan and we want to sell it to some poor, hapless uh, mutual fund or some uh, speculative uh, pension fund. Uh, then that loan, uh, we're not going to let uh, the borrower suffer. The lender has to suffer. So, uh, in other words, the loans that have been, the subprime loans that have been made are fraudulent. And uh, the penalty for fraudulence should be the loan will be wiped out, as it was under New York law since the time of the Revolution. So, really, uh, we're very conservative in our policies.
We're going back to the original intent of the framers of the Constitution. It's the Bush people and the Supreme Court that is radically uh, putting the class war back in business by turning the uh, Constitution upside down and replacing law with junk law, corrupt law, and replacing economics uh, with junk economics, just like they're doing in the field of uh, science with their junk science. So the fraud would be on the part of the lender, not yes, the borrower. The lender. The borrower borrowed in good faith, hoping to repay. A few years ago in uh, uh, England, I was told that there was an intellectual breakthrough in the banking class, and uh, the man explained to me with his mouth almost falling open, the poor are honest. They actually want to repay the debts. Most bankers thought that uh, most borrowers are like Donald Trump. You borrow the money, and then you try to stick it to the bank and not repay. But the poor actually, uh, and by the poor I mean the middle, everyone up through the middle class, uh, uh, believes that they should uh, repay the debt. In fact, uh, how do you know that you're poor? How do you know whether you're a member of the working class or the middle class when you believe you should repay the debts as a matter of honor? Uh, or uh, how do you know when you're a member of the working class when you don't think anybody's being exploited? Uh, that means that you're the person who's being exploited. Uh, people have bought into a fiction that's been promoted by the uh, uh, the right-wing press here and by the politicians that is not really their actual position. And what we're trying to do is uh, let people know just what their actual position is and how how these problems that they're experiencing have been handled much better in the past, especially much better in the past in America itself. And this fraudulent conveyance law is still on the books yes, in New is. York State. Yes, it is. Dr. Hudson, thank you again. Well, thank you very much, Bonnie. It was a pleasure. I've been speaking with Dr. Michael Hudson. Today's show has been The Plot to Shift Taxes Off Wealth Onto Wage Earners. Dr. Hudson is a financial economist and historian. He is president of the Institute for the Study of Long-Term Economic Trend. A Wall Street financial analyst, and Distinguished Research Professor of Economics at the University of Missouri, Kansas City. His 1972 book, Super Imperialism, The Economic Strategy of American Empire, is a critique of how the United States exploited foreign economies through the IMF and World Bank. He is also author of The Myth of Aid and Global Fracture, The New International Economic Order. Dr. Hudson has been appointed Chief Economic Policy Advisor to the Kucinich for President campaign, and in that role he is writing a new tax policy for the United States. Visit his website at www.michael-hudson.com. That's www.michael-hudson.com. Guns and Butter is produced, edited, and mixed by Bonnie Faulkner and Yaro Mako. Our engineer is Bonnie Bone. To leave comments or order copies of shows, call 510-848-6767, extension 628. Email us at faulkner at gunsandbutter.net or visit our website at www.gunsandbutter.net. Are you ready for the real revolution?
which is the evolution of the mind. If you seek, then you shall find that we all come from the divine. You dig what I'm saying? Now, if you take heed to the words of wisdom that are written on the walls of life, then universally we will stand and divided we will fall because love conquers all. You understand what I'm saying? This is a call for all you sleeping souls. Wake up and take control of your own cipher and be on the lookout for the spirit sniper trying to steal your life. You know what I'm saying? Look with inside yourself for peace. Give thanks, live life, and release. You dig me?